Welcome to the Three Strands Podcast. Thank you for joining us. It's our hope and prayer that you will experience God's blessing in your life through our ministry. At Three Strands Church, our goal is to create a culture of redemption where people are free to experience the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. I am, I am so nervous this morning, and I am so excited. Like, as I was prepping last night, um, like, my heart was almost beating out of my chest for what we get to talk about today. Like, I just, I can't tell you, maybe it's just something God has for me, but, like, I really believe that there's somebody in this room that needs to hear what we're going to talk about this morning. Um, and so I'm just really thankful that each of you showed up today. I've got my security blanket up here because I'm nervous. I got my little notebook, but I'm going to try to go just on my tiny notes. Um, I, I wanted to share a story, first of all. For those of you that haven't known me for a long time, and especially those of you that didn't know me before we even moved to Kentucky, um, I was a person that actually didn't know if I wanted a family. Um, and I've shared that before in our church, that I had a lot of fear um, about what kind of mom I would be. And when I accepted Jesus at 32 years of age, that is definitely something that he challenged and changed in my heart. And so seven years ago, we started this church. And seven years ago, um, we became pregnant with Sydney. And I remember that spring, like when we finally had made it past the point where we were like, OK, we're just going to have to start telling people. We called everybody in my family, because we don't have any family that lives here. And most of them were like, oh, that's cool. Like Some of them were like, we never thought this would happen, because we're like nearing our mid-30s for our first kid. Um, but there was one call that I will never forget. We called my brother and sister-in-law. Um, and my sister-in-law is like the sweetest, most wise, most gentlewoman you will ever meet in your life. Um, and so we get on the phone, and we're like, hey, we have news. We just wanted to let you know that we're expecting. and she laughed. Like, it wasn't just like a, oh, that's so sweet. It was like a deep, hard, like, belly laugh, like, whoa, ha, ha. And I was, I looked at David, and I was like, what just happened? And so we're talking to my brother, and I can still hear her laughing a little bit in the background. And so I don't know if it was just that she was in such disbelief that she just couldn't contain herself, um, or that she was a little bit, she has five kids. She's an amazing mom, definitely an example to me, but maybe she was just a little bit amused at, like, the journey that we were about to begin. But David and I also always laugh because we've noticed, like, we had a lot of experience with people telling us, you should have kids. Like, that was something that, like, people would say because we'd been married for, like, six, seven, eight years. Um, and we, what we noticed was as soon as we started telling everybody that we were going to have a baby, they were like, ha, now you're in for it. And I, I don't know if you connect with that, but, like, being a mom it's such a privilege, um, but it's also like, my kids are only four and six, and parenting is one of the most excruciating things I've ever experienced, so you can all pray for me as we, as we journey toward this. So um, I'm going to have a few stories today about some parenting fails, maybe. Um, I hope you can have some grace for that, but I just, I want to share with you, this particular story is actually happened in January this year, and it kind of is the whole reason that I'm up here talking today. So Sydney, my six-year-old, and I were having what we'll call an interaction, <laughs> um, another word for like disagreement or argument, and she had, she had done something, and the truth is I can't remember right now what she had done, um, but she had done something that I would rather her not have done, and I thought I had used like appropriate verbiage and facial expression, but 
when I, when I looked at her, I instantly saw something that got my attention. I saw her just whole countenance fall. Like her, her eyes just went dark and her shoulders slumped. And I could just tell, like, it was not worth that level of remorse, the way she felt. And it reminded me of a verse um, that I think Sam read this morning um, from Psalm 34 about how no shadow of shame will darken their face. And that's exactly what I felt like I saw in her face. Now, I know some of you are like, we've been at this parenting thing a little longer, and we know that that's like just a childhood trick, that's manipulation, and she got you. But but the reality is, I, I know that there are times when that probably happens too, but in that moment, in, in knowing what she had done, whatever minor thing it was, and knowing the extremity of my response and seeing the effect on her face, I knew that the punishment did not fit the crime, so to speak. And so it really just got me thinking about this idea of shame. And the ironic thing is that while I felt like I saw shame on her, I instantly felt so much shame in myself. Um, Just like, that's... That's the kind of parent I was terrified I would be, the one that makes her six-year-old daughter cry over something silly. Like, that's not who I want to be. Um, and so I just started started thinking through this idea. And this morning, we're going to dig in a little bit to shame, and then hopefully we're just going to talk through some tangible answers, maybe how to combat that, that attack of the enemy. And I truly believe that's what it is. And we're going to talk specifically from Scripture this morning about why I believe it's an attack from the enemy. Um, so first, I just want to share with you guys, we use the NLT version a lot here. And so I did just a Google search on Bible Gateway for like words that were like shame or similar to shame. And the word shame or ashamed or shameless or shamed um, or shameful, all of those types of words, they occur 210 times in the Bible. And I just thought that was interesting. Like, that's a lot. And it's, it's all the way from Genesis to Revelation. Like, it's pervasive throughout Scripture. And so I thought, well, let's look at the first time the word shame is used. And the first time the word shame is used is actually at the very end of Genesis chapter 2. And that talks about how Adam and Eve were naked, but it says they felt no shame. Like, they just had no idea that anything could be any different. This is how God created them, and so they felt no shame. And what I found to be very interesting was just seven verses later, In chapter 3, verse 7, shame enters the world um, because Satan has successfully deceived Adam and Eve into disobeying God, and all of a sudden, we have shame. So we are going to read Genesis 3 in just a minute. So Genesis 3, starting in verse 7, says, At that moment their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves when the cool evening breezes were blowing. The man and his wife heard God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, or he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord asked the woman, What have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied, and that's why I ate it. I would just like to pray over our time this morning before we go any further. 
Dear God, I just pray over this group of people that you've brought here today, and I pray that you would shine so much light on this topic of shame and on this weapon that Satan uses against us. Like, let us become just professionals at learning to identify it and learning how to um, how to fight back and not just live lives of shame. And so I pray that you would give me clarity. I pray that you protect me from speaking anything that's just emotional and not true. Um, and I just I just pray for you to get honor and glory here today. Thank you so much, Jesus. Amen. So when we, when we hear that story, it's really familiar to a lot of us probably. If you've been in church at all, you've probably heard the story of Adam and Eve and, and sin coming into the world. And there were a few things um, that stood out to me as I was reading this that um, just had never really gotten my attention before. It's kind of a story that you hear if you grew up, grew up in church. You've heard it from the time before you can remember. Um, and so it's a typical story. Um, what, one of the things, one of the first things that I found that I thought was interesting was um, how closely fear followed shame. Like it says, I was afraid. There was like an emotional response to shame. And if any of you have ever felt that, you like that resonates with you. I felt afraid, and, and I'm not going to dig a lot into that particular one. I got to talk about that a little bit the last time, but I think, like, there's just such a fear of exposure, a fear of, like, what's everybody going to think of me? What am I going to do? Like, I've, I've, there's been this major violation, and I don't know what to do about it. And so the first follow-up that we see from shame coming into the world, there's sin, there's shame, and then there's fear. And that fear of exposure caused Adam and Eve to take a couple actions. Um, the first one was kind of like a personal issue between them and God. And so um, when, when you look at that story, you see that they realized that they were naked and they tried to cover themselves up. And then when that didn't work, they hid. So there was like this personal decision of, I can't get caught, I'm really afraid, I'm going to hide. Um, and so when, when I look at that story, I just think, like, I connect with that. I don't know about you guys. Like, there are things that I feel shame about, and at first I try to just cover it up on my person, and I just try to talk a good talk and present, like, it's all good, and I got it all together. But eventually, that shame kind of just digs a hole deeper and deeper in my heart, and then I decide I have to hide. And so I'm going to ask each of you to think of an area of your life. And this is really personal. I'm not going to ask you to, like, shout it out or anything. But I just want you to think of that area, the area in your life that you're like, I don't, I don't want anybody else to know about this one thing. I can't tell anybody. I don't know what would happen if I was exposed. Now, I'm, I'm going to share something. Some of, some of you do know me well, and so you know that this is a struggle. But I'm going to share a struggle that I have. Some of you will mock me, and that's okay. Um, but it's a, it's a deep struggle, and I want you to hear that. Um, one of my areas of struggle, seriously, is food. All food in general, but candy in specific. Like, I can be out of control with candy. I can go whole days and only eat candy. Um, and I know that that's not, like, typically what you think. Just People eat normal food, right? Not me. I eat candy. And so what I've noticed, this is another like bad mom story. What I've noticed is that since I'm a mom, like now I can use the excuse and say, I'm buying some candy for the kids. 
And then what happens is I'm sitting there at the house because I'm blessed to work from home a lot and I'm typing away, but I'm like, oh, there's some candy over there in that cabinet. And so I kind of walk over there and I open the cabinet and I'm like looking around to make sure David or his dad doesn't come in or Logan doesn't come around the corner because they're all very stealthy. And I grab me some candy and I put it in my pocket. And that's not enough. Then all of a sudden I've like, there must be a load of laundry that I have forgotten about. And so I jet over to the laundry room and I'm like digging out my candy from my pocket and eating it as fast as I can. And it doesn't stop there. Then I have all these candy wrappers. And so you can't just leave the candy wrappers lying around and you don't dare put them on top of the trash. So how unsanitary is this? I'm like digging through the garbage so I can hide my candy wrappers in the garbage. Now that is funny. I, I think it's funny, but there are times when it's not funny because there are times when I really think about it. And in my heart, there's part of me that's really sad because I think, what, what kind of person am I, A, that I eat all of my kids' candy, but B, that this is such an area that I, I just can't control? Like, no matter how hard I try, I'm not going to be able to beat this one. And the truth is, I, I feel a lot of shame about that. Um, so, so I don't know what your particular area is. I share that. It's a mid-range level of shame that I'm willing to share with you. But I truly believe that each of us deals with shame and that that causes us to feel fear of exposure and that leads us to a place of hiding. <clears throat> So I also think it's interesting when reading this story and, and Adam and Eve, God has come to look for them and they've hidden and God asks them questions like, that is so amazing to me because God knows, like he knows everything, but he asks them some specific questions. And the amazing thing to me is that his questions are about their behavior. And what I have learned is that Satan comes at us so hard to attack our being, our person. If he can shame us, he can trap us. But God doesn't do that. He comes to them, and his, his question, first he says, now he told you that you were naked, because he, he knows that didn't come from him. But then his, his second question is, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? That's the question he asked Adam. And then after that, he asked Eve, what have you done? And if you really pay attention there, he's not, he's not making a judgment call on their value or worth. Like, God created them. He loved them. Like, they're it as far as humanity goes right now. He has no question about their value. His question is about their disobedience. And that is how I believe Satan tricks us. He attacks our being to diminish our impact. But God confronts our behavior to maximize our impact. If Satan can keep us like, oh, so scared of what everybody else is going to find out, like we're just not going to be the people that God intended us to be. And Satan knows that. And God knows if I can just, if I can just get their attention and let them know that I love them and I have good plans for them and if they'll just trust me and obey me, I will give them a life of peace. It's just amazing to me. Now, some of the ladies here got to participate in a Bible study um, that challenged us in many ways. It was called The Quest. But there was a quote by the author, Beth Moore, that I just wanted to share with you because I want you um, to really pay attention to this idea. She said, when you walk with God 
and he spotlights a negative pattern, it's always good news. He wants to break the old pattern and cause a victorious one to emerge. I'm like, isn't that just like, that's so refreshing for my heart. Like I go around trying to avoid being confronted about all the bad things I do. But the truth is God doesn't confront to hate on us. He confronts to help us. Um, and, and I just think it's interesting too, like when you really think about the Garden of Eden and how like this was it, this was the first time anybody ever did anything wrong. Like they, they didn't know how to own doing something wrong. They didn't know how to ask forgiveness, and they just did what came naturally through sin, which was that response of saying, I'm going to hide. But then, if you notice after that, I think it's in verses 11 and 13, so God has asked them these questions, and did you, did you catch their initial response? Like, they didn't need any coaching on this. God says, have you eaten it? And Adam's first response is, this woman that you gave me, like it's either her fault or your fault that I ate the fruit. It's not mine. And then God turns to Eve and says, what you doing? And she says, it was the serpent. He tricked me. And I just find it to be so interesting how blame comes so naturally to us when we feel shamed so deep in our souls. It's only natural to try to hide, and then once we're caught, to look somewhere else, to blame somebody else. And that's exactly what Satan did. So they had an emotional response to shame because they were afraid. They had a personal response to shame by just trying to hide and keep it to themselves. And then they had a relational response to shame, which is where they were blaming each other and pointing the finger and just completely um, unable to own their choice for themselves. So, so that's the part, that's the part that maybe you guys connect with as far as feeling shame. And now we get to like transition to, well, what's the answer? Like we all feel shame. Shame is kind of like one of those things that I really, I don't think it discriminates. Some of us may feel it more than others, but I think all of us on some level feel shame because Satan loves to just attack our being. Um, and so I truly believe that God has an answer for us, but I'm, I'm going to be honest with you and I'm, I'm going to share something another personal something to just kind of reflect what we're talking about. Um, sometimes when I hear that God has an answer for me, that is not satisfying at all. Sometimes I'm annoyed because, like, the Bible responses so much of the time feel very intangible. Like, I don't know how to take action on that. And so there are times when shame and sadness are, like, so deep inside of me and I'm just so frustrated and I don't know what to do. That, that I just feel like giving up. And so today, just for honesty's sake, I'm going to share with you guys a text that I sent to one of my closest friends um, just 11 days ago. I was going through a rough time. And I said in my text, I just need to say that I am weary and deeply sad on a soul level. I'm not even sure I know what that means completely, but the words seem the closest to a growing sense of I don't even know, no words. I mean, I'm sure I could go off on an hours-long tirade, but in the end, I do not believe that is the answer I need. I don't know what I need. I choose isolation the majority of the time because I am too busy for meaningful connection. Then, when I hit this point, I send one of these messages to you. Even though at my core, I fight a battle to even hit send, because even though you know me better than anyone, I still want to seem like I have it together. 
I don't know what I need in whatever this season is. But I am certain that I don't need to sit alone with these thoughts. So here's this text. Needing to be heard, to be prayed for, and to know someone else knows. Thanks, friend. Now, I don't share that with you so you can all like sit there and guesstimate on what craziness is going on in my life right now. Sometimes it's easy for those of us that get to be up front to share with you guys, like, we're just like you. We all need grace and truth. And I want you to know, like, that was me. That was me not two weeks ago. Like, knowing so much of this word, not enough, but knowing so much of it and still feeling like I don't have the answer. And, like, God is so good because I feel like he's actually been preparing me for the answers I needed um, at minimum since January, probably my whole life because it's in Scripture. Um, but he's just so good to have been preparing me. So I just want to share with you all um, a few things that I've been learning over the last few months and something that's really hit home with me in the last couple weeks. Um, so we talked about like our response or the effects of shame, and now we're going to look at the response or effects of living in the presence of Jesus. I know it sounds super spiritual. We're going to try to get practical in just a minute. Um, so the first emotional response is, again, what Sam read um, in Psalm 34.5. It talks about how like the author prayed to God and God freed him from his fears. And the last part of verse 5 says, those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. And I love that. I love that contrast of like a shadow of shame. Like if I could have taken a picture of Sydney that day, you would have got it. But you might already have an idea of what that looks like. And then to contrast that with the radiance that comes from joy. And so I have another story, this time as a proud mama. Um, this past week, many of you know, was graduation, kindergarten graduation, high school graduation. And so, as is typical in graduations, now, kindergarten graduation, that's just funny, but they all come walking in like they're supposed to be in a line, but they're not, and they're all over the place, but they finally come in and they sit in their row, and like, we're in the gym. So, you know, there's like hundreds and hundreds of people there in the gym. And so Sydney sits down, and she's looking for us, and she's looking for us. And finally, she finds us. And this is her face. I don't know if you can even see it because I can't blow it up. But, like, she is thrilled. Like, she couldn't find us. And she was like, I don't know. Like, all these other kids see their mom and dad. But she saw us, and, like, she was instantly so happy. And then what was so interesting was, like, once we made that contact she would keep looking back. It wasn't like it was enough that she saw us the first time. She kept looking back to see us, and she had the same expression on her face, like she was thrilled, like she was seeing us for the first time. And so what I want to say to you as a practical first step, now sometimes, like I said, sometimes like things are simple to say, but they're hard to do. And so I'm just going to tell you this one might be hard to do. But I'm going to tell you, that verse in Psalm 34 says, they look to him. They look to God. It doesn't say they look for him. Like when you're looking for something, as is the story of my life every day, that implies, I don't know where it's at. You know, like I'm looking for my phone, I'm looking for my keys, I'm looking for everything, my flash drive, um, and I can't find it. But the verse doesn't say they're looking for God. The verse says they look to him and they will be radiant with joy. And so I, I'm just going to tell you, like, this is what we have. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. I'm so sorry. And we have the Bible, 
that is his words directly to us. Like, we can't miss him. It's so easy to look at our circumstances and question who God is and is he really this way. Or it's so easy to have a down day when you send a message to someone and say, I don't have any answers. But this is the answer. And you're, you might not come out of your feelings because Satan is going to attack hard. So you might not come out of those feelings immediately. But I am here to tell you that when you open this book and you read something about God, when you read that he is faithful, when you read that he is trustworthy, that he is good, that he is your protector and defender, no matter how it feels, you claim that, and it is true. And there is such an amazing sense of that. And, and the other thing that I want to share with you guys is when we look to him, like, I, I think he actually likes us. Like, sometimes in marriage counseling, we, we've, we've heard this in marriage counseling, and we've seen it played out in talking with other people and in ourselves, if we're being honest. But there's this, this idea that, like, a lot of men will say, well, I know my, or my wife loves me, but I don't really think she likes me. You know? Like, I don't know. I don't know if you felt that way, but just being real, like, we've had that conversation. And so, and that, as a society, that's kind of how we've come. There's, like, there's either, like, this romantic, ushy-gushy love, or there's, like, I love you, but I really think you're a jerk. Like, it's, like, that's all we got. And so sometimes we tend to think, well, well, I know the kind of person that I am, and God definitely knows the kind of person I am. So he probably doesn't love me like crazy. He probably loves me but knows I'm a jerk. Um, and so I just want to say to you, like, there are so many passages in the Bible that talk about how God delights in us. And so I pray that this is not blasphemous and that you can see it. But I want to put this up. This is something that David found and has sent maybe to some of you. Do you see how excited that little boy is? I don't know where he is or what he is doing, but he is so excited. And so what I want to tell you to do is the next time, before you open this book, I want you to picture that. That is not God. I'm not saying that that's what God looks like. I'm saying that he can't wait for you to open up this book and hear from him. He can't wait to tell you who he is and the plans that he has for you. He's pumped. It's awesome. So that's step one. Step one is um, we will have joy. Our emotional response to living in the presence of God versus living in shame is joy. All right. Okay, so there's there's also this amazing story in Scripture. We're not going to read through the whole passage, but there is this story about Moses. And he was this amazing leader of the children of Israel, led them out of Egypt and almost to the Promised Land. And um, there's this story, and I think it's Exodus 23. You should totally check it out sometime. And he's talking with God, and he's like, we're getting ready to go on this journey. Like, I really need to make sure that you're on my side. I really need to make sure that I'm going to be living in your presence or living in your favor. And I love Moses because he's so much like me. Um, he's just skeptical. Like, he doubts. He's not sure. So seriously, these are specific quotes from God to Moses. He says, I will personally go with you. I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. I will do what you asked. I look favorably on you. I know you by name. Now that's enough, right? That's enough to be like, I can do anything, but not for Moses, not for me. Um, he says, okay, okay, well, well, that's cool, but 
could you just maybe show me your glory? Like, those promises are nice and all, but could you just show me your glory? And so God doesn't beat him up. God doesn't kill him dead there on the spot. He says, okay, this is the deal. I'm, I'm going to cover your face because you can't, you can't really see all of me, but I'm going to walk in front of you. And as I pass, you're going to see the back of me. And so that's what he does for Moses. And then in the next chapter, at the end of the next chapter, after Moses has had this interaction with God, he comes down from the mountain and the people freak out because his face is literally glowing. It says it's glowing because he was with the Lord. And so I just want to encourage you guys, like, it is never a waste of time to open your Bible and to engage with Jesus, and he is excited about that. And the amazing thing, too, is that this, so Moses was an Old Testament character, and we don't live in the Old Testament times. We live, we live in the age of grace. We live in New Testament times after Jesus came and died on the cross for us and rose from the dead. And so now we don't have to, like, hope that we can have some interaction with God. We have interaction with God right here. 2 Corinthians 3, 16 to 18 says that we are not like Moses. Whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. I forgot to tell you, he had to literally, like, wear a covering over his face because the people couldn't handle looking at him. Um, it says, whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. And that's just an example. Like, we take it for granted that when we open our Bible, we're just reading a book and we're putting it down and we're going on with our day. But I just want to tell you that's not the truth. So your emotional response when you spend time with Jesus, it's the practical step. Spend time with him. Know that he's excited about it is joy. The second, the second decision you get to make is a response. Instead of blame, like let's, let's be aware that that's a natural tendency. Blame is a natural tendency, like whenever we're caught or we're feeling ashamed and feeling like we're going to get caught. Um, making excuses is a natural tendency. Kind of arguing with people is natural, but I'm going to suggest another action step that you can take. Um, it's going to be a very personal, very deep decision. Let's confess whether we've been caught or not. Let's say I'm going to own it. I'm going to own that there are things that I feel shame about, and I'm going to, I'm going to talk to somebody about that. If, if, we, if we never talk about the things that we've done that we're ashamed of, and if we never talk about that fear of like not being enough, like shame really underneath it all is just this belief that like not enough, like I'm not enough. And, and God, God doesn't say that. Like he knows we are weak, but he fills us and we have everything we need through him. And so around here at our church, like we love, we love you guys. Like I can't imagine my life. I could have very easily seven and a half years ago, my, like, imagine my life without any of you, because that's what I told David. When he said we should start a church, I said, we can't do that. <laughs> like, we can't, because I, had, I have experienced, like, amazing, amazing things through confession with other believers. James 5.16 is something we talk about here all the time, because it says that if we confess our faults to each other or our sins to each other and pray for each other, we will, we will be healed. Like, God 
We confess to God for forgiveness, but we confess to each other for healing. And that is what happens here. And I found this awesome quote. There's an amazing book that I've just started reading, so I can't completely give it my seal of approval, but it's called Soul of Shame. And it is all about this idea of how Satan uses shame to undermine us and undermine God's purpose in our life and how the power of community can defeat that. Um, And there was this quote. The creation of outposts of goodness and beauty in these small communities of people who are willing to tell the truth about their life will change the world forever because that is where the Spirit of God is most active. Like nine years ago, I got to be part of a community like that, and it changed my life. It's where I realized I didn't actually know Jesus, even though I'd been in a Christian community my whole life um, and in church and in Christian school and Bible college. But there, just the healing that happened there, like these ladies courageously spoke the truth about the mess of their lives, and it changed forever. Like God used that to completely revolutionize my life, and it's, it's why we're here. We were like, we shouldn't have to drive two hours away to experience that. We want that to be available to everyone here in McCurry County, and so we're here today for that. So our personal commitment is to confess and then relationally, and this is just this is just really basic, but it's something that God really brought to my attention. Um, Ephesians 4:32 just says, "Be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving each other." And those may seem like basic things, but again, oh, like sometimes there are just people. It's hard to be kind, if I'm being honest, or it's hard to have compassion, or it's hard to forgive. But those are just the other action steps that God gives us relationally. To say, like, just trust me, just be obedient, take the risk, be kind. Take the risk, like, just actually have some compassion on what somebody else is going through. Or say, I forgive you and mean it, and there will be freedom. So this morning, we're going to wrap up in a a different way than normal. First, I'm going to ask all of you to shut your eyes. And I want you just for a minute to imagine... Um, again, imagine the thing that is most shameful to you. The thing that you don't want anybody to know. And I want you to, to just really feel the darkness that comes from being so lonely, from being afraid that it's going to be found out, from, from trying to hide it, and from like engaging in so much conflict around you because you're working so hard to make sure nobody finds out. So once you've really got that feeling and that emotion, we're going to play a song, and I'm going to ask you to open your eyes and see the words on the screen and hear them as God's words directly to you.